Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 16th of December 2019. This is our last report for a couple of weeks. We will be back in the new year, uh, I guess, for a week commencing the 6th of Jan. So you're going to have to live without me for a week or two, which is very, very disappointing, I'm certain. Anyway, the market itself, we've just had uh, an election. The pound has just gone up in value, so it doesn't bode particularly well for immediate grain price improvement. It's going to take a day or two to sort out what it all means Nobody's really engaging in the market, although we have had an increase in phone calls this morning on the basis of the currency movement. So, with that in mind, nothing's really changed. Feed barley, 120x farm, and that's about it. I think it's going to stay around there. I don't see a dramatic increase in the value of feed barley. If you have feed barley to trade, just get on with it. Don't keep it. I don't see an an improvement at all at any point. Next year, there's going to be an enormous barley crop, so there's no carryover benefit for doing it. So ditch it is my advice. If you can, if there's someone paying a sensible value. As far as feed wheat is concerned, farmer engagement for immediate movement has stopped because the market has dropped we predicted this last week it seems that the 140x for december movement was to fill boats and to to get people's christmas needs covered so premiums were being paid and 140 was the magic price anything less than that is therefore not palatable and therefore people have stopped selling it the real value has slipped away quite significantly so I think when we get into the new year, we may well start with exactly the same problem of farmers not engaging. But I don't know, I can see old crop prices falling. I don't see where our surplus goes. And now that we have a stronger pound, then we have a clear reason for our competitiveness abroad to become, it's obvious to everybody that we we haven't got that option of export at the same prices. So in other words, we're under pressure on old crop, everybody. The knock-on effect also appears with new crop because we're priced already pretty well at parity with the French. We have the opportunity of export during the early part of the season next year as we lead up to deck 20 and leaving the European Union. So we're going to be able to export. It's not really relevant because we're not competitive because our price is really high due to the lack of, of planting in the autumn. So with farmers aware that they haven't got as many tonnes to trade... You know, our advice has been not to sell it. I think there is, once the the rain started falling and it kept falling, we've not pushed people to sell 2020. And I hope some of you guys remember that later on. Advice from a, a mindless grain buyer is always sell some, sell, sell, sell every time they speak to you just to get the tonnage in their book. The motivation is to help pay their own mortgage, not to help you. Our analysis is we will be importing next year because we have not got a crop that is big enough to meet our demands. Therefore, you base the price of wheat on what the cost of importing other stuff is. And that price is higher than where we are now. So, all right, things can change. Currencies can change. Maybe the pound going up will make alternative stuff come in even cheaper. But I do think that there is a limited downside when you're going to produce a crop that is arguably 4 million tonnes less than you produced last year. So 
our advice is still to kind of sit, wait, see how the winter goes and try and make an analysis of uh, where markets will go depending on how kind the spring is. Because I was talking with one of my farmers yesterday who's the same age as me and we were reminiscing about various years and I can't ever remember specific years and, and what weather patterns have happened. In his case, he took over running the farm in 1988, which is 87 autumn, 88 spring. And 87 was a very wet late harvest and a very wet, difficult autumn. And everyone was, oh, there'll be a great big spring barley crop. But 88 spring was really difficult and wet as well. And therefore, it was a problem for the following. They actually had a fantastic summer and the yields were half decent through a very good grain fill. But it was not a doddle. It was not easily planting spring barley and everything's fine it was difficult both in the autumn and the spring and we haven't seen that for for that many years so there's no certainty that there will be an eight million ton barley crop yet because we haven't planted it so let's keep that in the back of our heads and make our trading judgments based upon the knowledge we have actually got and allow for the fact that the weather doesn't necessarily behave i'll wrap up with oilseed rate prices oil values around the world have gone up in palm oil, soya, everything has gone up and we would be steaming towards the mid 320s if it wasn't for the pound going up by two point something percent this morning. So I would say the value is yet again around about 320. It hasn't changed. We don't see a downside pressure on actual oil prices. We just see a downside pressure basis, the strength of currency. So it's really how the world reacts to what's happened over here, the interpretation of whether it's good or bad for us. And at the moment, the currency markets are saying the pound gets stronger. So that has got to be the biggest influence on you. And I'll let you make your own judgments on the basis of that. Uh, Anyway, with that, look forward to speaking to you in January. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Wealth management company Bruin Dolphin has been helping families for many years to accumulate, grow and protect their money to cope with the changing financial climate. Their services range from bespoke investment solutions to retirement planning and tax-efficient investing across their 32 offices. In East Anglia, they have offices in Norwich, Ipswich and Cambridge. If you would like to know more, call Aidan Watts on 01603 733 300. Or look online for Bruin Dolphin. Capital at risk. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and can change. Bruin Dolphin is authorised and regulated by the FCA. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Right, this morning we have the end of year uh, podcast and, and I have got Joe, Ben, Webby and myself. So morning boys. Morning. Morning, morning, and uh, it's the day after the uh, the voting, so we have a new uh, a new majority government, which we're all very excited about, aren't we? I thought Lord Buckethead did well. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was really disappointed. I really should have looked up his manifesto. I'm just slightly surprised, to be honest. Um, I I'm a little bit sort of caught. I, I really didn't think it would be a, as much majority. Clearly, um, a good strap line does mean everything. Yeah, no, I'd say a good first-past-the-post means everything. It is what it is. I mean, the the key issue for me on starting seriously, because the chance of this being serious all the way through this morning is pretty low, I think agriculture's in a spot of bother. You know, when we get to trading or putting the deal together, is agriculture a strong enough thing for the government to support or help, or are they going to just aim at cheap food? And I, I, I must admit, I am a little nervous about the agricultural future. 
yeah, cheap food in the future will be the vote winner, won't it? And unfortunately, I mean, Donald Trump last night, yeah, straight off tweeted the bat, first. tweeted, yeah, yeah, and said, come on, Boris, let's have a deal. You know, we A big deal. A big deal. A great deal. And I don't think NHS will be, okay, maybe part of it, but I don't think he'll give too much away on that. You didn't say, I've got some drugs for you, Boris. <laughs> I think I could do with some drugs. I've got the, like, Christmas lurgy going on at the moment. And you just epitomise sort of, like, health and everything right, don't he you? He does look a bit peaky this morning. Though, have, you had, have you had your cheese slice this morning yet already? No, but yesterday he did have a huge breakfast bap. Finely tuned athlete. It's like Wally says, you wouldn't put um, diesel in an F1 car, would you? I, I don't know how that helps you, Ian, but anyway... <laughs> But no, you wouldn't. (laughs) I'd like to talk about the Bourse. Now, um, Joe didn't come to the Bourse, but the other two guys did. For me, I think that was a a really positive, good, well-meant, well-meaning, happy, trade-in-unison Bourse. Yeah, although the attendance was very skewed. I thought the attendance was good, but it was... There were probably fewer brokers there. Maybe it's a bit unfair on some of the brokers that were there, but then there were a lot of traders that weren't normal bourse attendees that were there. So. Yeah, fewer, but, but also some of the larger companies, you know, there weren't that many of them. Speaking of the larger companies, one of the, if not the largest company, I had a li- nice chat with one of my friends there, one of their directors, and he, he said sometimes we're a bit harsh on them on our podcast. Oh, you, you can't name any names, can you, Andrew? I would say, I think I said to him, pebbles in the pond, you know, it's little ripples. We, our job is to make people think and make sure they check up on themselves that they're not being too dominant. And um, largely, he conceded, and I think most people there conceded that the podcast specifically is a force for the good. I think that's quite a nice compliment, actually, that, that it is well listened to by the trade. I've got to say, I had loads of conversations on Friday, and it was a nice little setting, wasn't it? St. Catherine's Dock in the Dickens Inn, and it was yeah. very plush, really smart. But no, there, there was a lot of guys that enjoyed listening to it, which was really nice to hear. It's been really well supported. Yeah, it's a good insomniac's cure, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely, L- yeah. Lots of the guys' wives like listening so to it. So what was that? I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the boss itself, ignoring our podcast, the boss itself, I would say it was fun and, and there is genuine goodwill in the trade toward each other. We all compete. We're all trying to, you know, be the best and, and, and do all the farmer's business and, and think everyone else is rubbish. But the reality is we are doing a, a job with a lot of commonality. And if you work with each other, actually, you end up better off. You know, we've been helping people fill boats recently. We've done swap tonnages where we haven't got some tonnage near a particular mill and another merchant has. And we've got stuff nearer, perhaps, to a mill up this way. And just by working together, say, you deliver that there, we'll deliver that there. We'll both save a bit of haulage. Does that work? That sort of thing occurs by people meeting at bourses and being friendly with each other. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would add to that is obviously it was a good positive bourse, but there were the comments about next season's crop size and where that leaves some of the large merchants. Yeah. Well, what you're saying is they should, they should book a smaller venue. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's let's, no, go, let's go let's go back let's go back to the pebbles in the pond scenario here. I don't I don't like leaving our listeners thinking too much. I mean, you're that, you're, that's sounded like a rock in, a, yeah. in a puddle. Okay, so next one, there was an opportunity where we were <laughs> we were at the boss, and uh, there was Adams and Howling, there was Matthew, and there was Chrissy Borrett, and then there was um, yeah. To Bannum's Tom Rivet and us all in of close proximity. And I had a little thought to myself if we could just get a photo 
you know, get a photo of us all together in this thing, having a beer together and smiling and laughing and arms around each other, loving each other as we do, um, we could we could save that picture and then on April the 1st next year have a big thing in the EDP saying Norfolk merchants setting the price for harvest. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone out there is laughing at that idea, because I think that's really funny. <laughs> Obviously, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> Matthew, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Anything else to say about the balls? Just the uh, the crop size debate. Well, what was very interesting was when they read out the crop sizes that were predicted for this year, Josh was horrendously wrong. Isn't that his classic take the mickey out of the person asking the question moment, though? Yeah, true. Well, they did come out as it's better to be talked about than not, isn't it? Well, and, and he was talked about. And he was, well, was he two, three million tonnes under? Yeah, two, three million tonnes well, under. Hopefully, you know, he won't be there next year because he wasn't at the Bourse, was he? With the, this oh, no, because, of course, he had gout. He did. <laughs> he did. Who could forget that? So, yeah, after the Bourse, we were all a little bit worse aware. We had a good session. We, we sort of finished it. Half eight, nine. And then me and Ben trooped back, but you, you stayed down, didn't you, Andrew? Well, I, I didn't finish at half eight, nine, because I ended up with Scott Welcome and Paul Munt. So ending at half eight, nine was kind of not on the on the menu, and I uh, ended up in that ridiculously tall tower with drinks cost, the same as an English country pub, just for a gin and tonic. Did um, Scott Welcome try to take up the shard? Is there some <laughs> kind of code in that? <laughs> well, it, uh, it's not even that well coded. No. No, we went to the sushi, uh, whatever it was, bar. Webby's still laughing at his own joke there. That's really good. After that, we went to the Magpie, me, Munty and Scotty, which is an original thought, which is the pub opposite um, Liverpool Street Station. We've spent many a happy hour discussing the world and its and its merits. And then at midnight, I went back to my train and headed back to Stratford, as you all know. Tessa had, had said, you've never done any Christmas shopping before, I want you to come Christmas shopping. And it turned into a real kind of issue. And I felt like this is this is some punishment. I've, I've done something really bad. And obviously, I can't think of anything bad I've ever done. So I, um, I was made to go around Westfield for the day on Saturday shopping. And I was dreading it. There I was, dutifully, you know, thinking, if I walk behind her carrying the bags, pulling a sullen face, she's... She's going to either enjoy this or, or, or get really angry. She's going to turn really ugly. So I, I set about shopping with gusto. I got up in the morning and uh, it was like, you know, right, come on, let's go shopping. I'm writing the list down. Pencil, you know. I took the pencil in my pocket and had the bit, bit of paper with all the names on. I said, right, we're off. And uh, well, can't we stop for breakfast? I said, all right, all right, we'll stop for breakfast. But I want in that place, you know, nine o'clock, I want to be nailing those these presents. And I went for it. Every shop we went in, I bought stuff. I went, right, that, yeah. By 11, we'd done God knows how many presents. We'd taken a load back to the hotel we were staying in and back out again. And it was on the street. And I thought, she's going to get really fed up with me because... She thought she was in control. There's no thought, is there? <laughs> it was, the, you know, the care and attention of the... the <laughs> it was a howler, as a, as a, with a, thinking I'd never get invited again, because it, it, was, it was about some form of, you know, mental punishment. Can he take it? <laughs> yeah, little did she know that I knew that she knew that she'd kind of, like, done this to me and I was going to fail the test. I did the opposite. Anyway, the end of the day, she said, that was brilliant. We must do that again. <laughs> so, wise advice out there, boys. Stick to the tried and tested, sullen face, carry the bags, ten steps behind, and look really miserable. And, and have the argument, yes, but at least you won't be asked back next year. Were you actually allowed to choose anything on the list? I'm, you know, I'm discerning. 
when it comes to Tessa was trying boots on, and I, I used I didn't use the tactic I've used historically with Tessa, which is every third item say no because it looks like you're actually being discerning. So no, I actually the first pairs of boots that she put on is normally the ones they like best. First thing they pick is the one they normally like best, right? I didn't like them, so I went no, I don't like them. But she's trying to explain to me what fashion's going to be with these ridiculously big boot things. Should you wear them with dresses? And I said. No, they don't. No, they will do. This is what's coming next. I went, I can't see it. I said, so, but why are you asking me? If I don't know what fashion is, it's a pointless exercise, isn't it? Anyway, she ended up buying the first boot she tried on. (laughs) So the fact I like the other ones better had no relevance, so there is no point in asking me. But while we're in the shoe shop, there was a real scrap that went on because a a lady walked in and it it was one of those moments where the shoe shop girl, who was, you know, putting shoes on the shelves or whatever, suddenly went into meltdown and started throwing shoes at this girl who'd walked in with a bloke. And uh, I sat there doing a traditional Norfolk thing of looking at the floor and pretending I wasn't there. And Tessa was standing up and uh, watched the whole thing. And it basically, the girl who came in had a face like the cat had got the cream and she had a, a bloke with her. And her, her summary was that, obviously, that was the shop assistant girl's ex-boyfriend. And we learnt some new interesting language. But, I mean, I've got another observation, because I feel like doing this this morning. Everyone's <laughs> holding their breath, because I've said this before the mics went on. So I'll say it in a way that's really good. <laughs> in Westfield, if I'm walking in a direction and someone's walking straight at me, I will say either, oh, sorry, or excuse me, good old Hugh Grant moment. And I'm sure mm-hmm. all of you are the same, yeah, are you not? Yeah, 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 yeah I, I agree, yep. Excuse yep. me, sorry, yes, uh, yeah. would you mind if I just went through there? And yep, doesn't I, cost anything. Cost nothing, right? I was about to say, Joe, do you really say it? I imagine people just get out of the way. Quite yeah. light on my foot, you know, I, I, I move out of the way yeah, when in, I need in to. In a general block the entire corridor yeah, yeah, to the yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. They can't get around me, obviously, no. then, you know, it's fair enough. Anyway, so there is a certain East London-style set of people who absolutely have no manners whatsoever, and they just walk straight, and it's they've obviously been oppressed forever, or something's gone on that really is obnoxious and incredibly rude, and if we all lived our life like that, we would live our life in complete and utter conflict. As an observation, is there not something, you know, there's an Englishness about us all that goes, we, we all feel slightly... I don't know, wronged by it. There's something niggled me about it anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's a very specific area of dog-eat-dog environment that, that people don't see the benefit of being friendly to the other person. And, okay. and, it's, and it's about, obviously, uh, going too deep into this, but probably just a little bit of fear that causes people to be on the front foot rather than be nice all okay. the time. And it doesn't hurt to be just nice, nice and human-like. But, yeah, it's probably... If you want to be nice, be in Norfolk. Because you don't get that in Jarrell's, do you? We're now moving to the beer time. Webby has opened the beer. So what's the beer called? That's uh, Oliver Flake with mine, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) The head on that. We have got a... It's in a really fancy package. We've got Marston's Horninglow Street. It's an IPA. Good good Limited edition in a a cardboard box. So it's... um, yeah, very well presented. We like Marston's, normally good beers, but this looks like a power one. How did it say to pour it? I know this sounds a bit funny, but I mean, is it supposed to be a cloudy beer oh, or is it supposed to be a normal beer? Because a bit hazy. Crikey, have you seen the what? strength of it? What? Yeah, 7.4. 7. 7.4. 7.4, that's sort of headcracker sort of level. That was the old school uh, um, measure, the standard for a um, crazy juice. Yeah, so does that mean Ben will have a little snooze this afternoon then? Highly likely. (laughs) 
Anyway, it's bottle number two six nine four six of of the batch of um, how many? It, it, it's it's very nice. I must say, it's got yeah, it's nice flavour. God, there's there's a bit here. It says this age as well. The Horn and Glow Street series is all bottle conditioned, meaning the beer still carries a small amount of yeast and is therefore still fermenting uh, and getting better with age. I mean, I must admit, yeah, seven point four percent. That is a uh, oh. Look here, pour slowly and smoothly. Oh, yes, not, not gush it into the glass. And Avoid jostling and shaking. <laughs> Didn't you jostle and shake this morning, Ben? <laughs> this is along with his shard joke, isn't it? <laughs> Can you drink your beer up, Ben? Because yours was the last one to pour, and it says here, leave the last bit of beer in the bottle where the yeast has settled. <laughs> So, oh. drink up. <laughs> <laughs> that's why uh, That's why I'm having to chew my beer. Right, Merry Christmas, Webby. Yeah, I think we need to have a little wrap-up. I, I think, in reflection, I've got to say, in the last 18 months of doing this podcast, if anyone listens to our advice, they should be happy. We've, we've got the market right, and if you want to go back and check when we started predicting selling it, we were right, and we have had the odd week where we've been wrong for a short period of time. But I'm really happy with the dynamic of that. We've just had our year-end results as a business. If our farmers do well because our advice is right, then our business does well. We've got a good profit, so our balance sheet goes up. So we're really happy with that. We've had a cracking 2018 harvest, which ended in June as our, as our year. This year's tougher, but we're doing okay. We're, we're certainly standing our ground. We were there in force at the bourse. Nice bit of rhyming. All is well at this company at the moment, isn't it? We're, we're, in, a, we're in a happy place. It's a tough future because you, you lot haven't got out there and planted enough grain, which is really selfish of you. It's nothing to do with the weather. You should have been more organised. So we're going to suffer now. <laughs> we're going to suffer deeply in a year's time trying to find grain to buy. But our intention is to continue getting the market right. And if you've noticed, a year ago today, we had 100 and something thousand tonnes of wheat bought. This year, we've got only 10,000 tonnes of wheat bought for the following harvest. And that is because our view has to be based upon what we think is coming. And so you farmers out there appreciate advice. And advice that says, sell it, sell it, sell it, isn't advice. That's someone just trying to pay their mortgage. What we're doing, and, and what a good conscientious merchant, other merchants are doing this, are doing, is saying... There's no major rush to sell new crop, even with a strong pan this morning. This market has got strong reasons to not disappear into the floor. So there's no real pressure to sell it at the moment. Wait. And we that's our advice. That's where we're at. So with that happy reflection on our fabulous trading advice, happy Christmas. Uh, look forward to reappearing in 2020. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter we are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. This is an advert for our merchant listeners.
The Norfolk dinner is to be held on January the 16th. We have a new venue in the city centre, giving a much better experience, showcasing what Norfolk is about. Book tickets or tables via emma at dewinggrain.co.uk.